Welcome to Glory Stories with Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn was one of the top eye surgeons in America and has traveled to many countries in the world preaching the Word of God. She also opened up an eye surgery center in Beijing, China, where she did free eye surgery on those in need. Dr. Vaughn will be sharing many of her personal experiences from God. In addition, you will hear of others that have known God in an intimate way and seen His miracle working power. As you hear about how God has worked in the lives of others, our hope is that you will be changed forever. Get ready for God to heal you, deliver you, and transform your life as you sit back and enjoy these glory stories. Welcome to Glory Stories. Today, instead of telling you one story, I'm going to tell you a lot of little stories. I think you'll enjoy this a lot. I'm going to start off with a couple of stories about Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, we've spoken about him before in one of our glory stories, but I ran out of time, and I didn't have time. Well, I can't ever tell you everything, but I'm going to tell you two more stories about Smith Wigglesworth. One day he was on a, uh, a ship, and uh, he, was, he was just on the ship, and there were a lot of young people, and they were milling around, and some of the young men were out there with one of the young ladies, and they knew that that night there was going to be a dinner, and then there was going to be a dance afterwards. So the young men were kind of uh, taunting the young woman and saying, we dare you to go ask Smith Wigglesworth to dance with you tonight at the dance. And, you know, she did she, oh, I can't ask him. And they said, oh, well, we dare you. We dare you to do it. So she decided, okay, I'll take him up on this dare. So that night after dinner, the, the music starts playing. And so this young lady comes over to Smith Wigglesworth and she said, uh, would you dance with me? You know, he pauses shortly. Undoubtedly, he's asking the Lord what, what the Lord wants him to do, because Smith always did what God wanted him to do. And so he pauses a minute. He says, oh, yes, I'll dance with you. So he takes the young lady out to the very center of the dance floor with all the other people dancing on the dance floor. And he says, excuse me, everybody. Before I dance, I always pray. So would you all please bow your heads, and we're going to pray now. So he begins to pray and pray. You know, Smith, he's a great prayer warrior. He prays and prays. And he starts, you know, as he starts praying, people are getting under conviction of their sins and they're getting, uh, they're, they're thinking they, they're, they need to get right with God. And so revival breaks out right on there on the dance floor. And there's no, there's no more dancing, needless to say. And the other nights that they were all on the ship together, there were no dancing any nights. Smith Wigglesworth was just praying with people preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many people were getting saved. Uh, another story is about his, about his wife, Polly. Polly was quite a preacher herself. In fact, she was a preacher before Smith was. She was saved and baptized with the Holy Ghost before Smith was. Uh, he was kind of a, a mean kind of a guy. He was a plumber, and he, he didn't do really nice things before he got saved, but he got saved. He got baptized with the Holy Ghost, and he was a whole new person. So anyway, one, one day, it was actually, it was New Year's Day, January the 1st, uh, 1913. And Polly went off for a preaching meeting that day. And later on, they brought her in. They brought her body in. She had died on this preaching mission. And so they brought her body in, and Smith says, well, just place the body on the bed. So they did. They put her body on the bed. When the men left, he, he, he said, I, I command the spirit of death to leave Polly, and I speak resurrection life into Polly in Jesus' name. 
and she came, her eyes opened and she woke up and, and she said, Smith, why did you do that? He said, because I need you, Polly. She said, Smith, my time of work on this earth is over and God's called me home. And, and they talked for a while. They talked back and forth for a while. And finally, Smith says, okay, Polly, if that's what God wants, if he wants you to go home, okay, I'll release you and I'll let you go home. So she lays back down and she goes back to heaven again. Story of Polly Wigglesworth. There's a story that, that I just thought about that I never got to tell you about William Branham that impressed me so much. So I'm going to tell you that story too. William Branham uh, was a man that always obeyed God. And so he was flying to a, a, a meeting where he was going to be the guest speaker, the featured speaker. And the plane, the airplane got diverted. And so he couldn't get to his destination then. They sent him to another town. They put him up in a hotel over the night. And the next morning, he wrote a letter to his wife, and he wanted to walk to the post office and mail the letter. He walked out of the door of the hotel, and the post office was to the right. But the Lord told him to walk the opposite direction. So he always tried to obey God. That's what we always need, you and I, we always need to obey God. No matter if he's telling you to walk the way you think is the wrong way, you just better do it anyway. So he starts walking the wrong way. Well, not, not the wrong way, God's way, the way God told him to walk. He walks, he continues walking, and he knows that there's going to be transportation, a car picking him up at the hotel at a certain time to take him to the airport to catch his flight where he's supposed to go in the first place. So he knows he has a time limit here. But God, you know, God takes care of all of those things. So God t keeps telling him, keep walking, keep walking. He crosses across some railroad tracks. And finally, he gets to kind of small houses on the other side. Then there's a woman leaning against her front gate, and she says, Good morning, Parson. He said, how do you know I'm a parson? She said, because last night I was praying over my son who's in the house and he's very sick. He's, he's close to death and, and I was praying to God about what to do. And God told me that tomorrow morning there's going to be a man that's a parson. He's going to be walking by your front, your front of your yard, and he's going to be wearing a certain kind of a suit. And you're to invite him into your house. And when he prays for your son, your son's going to be healed. So Branham goes in, he lays hand on the young man, he prays and God heals the young man and he goes on about his way. He gets back just in time to catch the automobile that's taking him to the airport. You know, there's several things about that that really impress me. Not only was Branham obedient, but, but God knew that Branham would always be obedient because he told the woman in the middle of the night that Brandon was going to be walking by her front gate wearing a certain suit. He told the woman before it ever happened. That means that God knew that when he told Brandon to walk the opposite direction, that Brandon was going to walk the opposite direction. He had that kind of confidence and trust in Brandon. And I, for one, want God to have that kind of trust in me, don't you? I want God to be able to trust me there where he'll know that 100% of the time when, when he tells us to do something, we're going to do it 100% of the time, not 80% or 90%, but 100% of the time. A few years later, uh, Branham was at a train station, and a young man comes up to him, and he says, do you remember me? He said, no, I don't remember you. He said, well, I'm the young man that you, you came by our house that morning, and my mama invited you in, and I was almost dying, 
and you laid your hands on me and God healed you. And this is me today and I'm strong and well and I just wanted to say hello and tell you thank you. Thank you. Thank you for healing me by the name of Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you a story now about some airline tickets that's very interesting. God had, had told me to make this particular trip. We were flying from the Dallas-Fort Worth airport to Tokyo. I say we because there was a lady named Jerry that was flying with me. So from Dallas-Fort Worth to Tokyo, from Tokyo to Beijing. In Beijing, I was going to teach the eye surgeons in, in Beijing about modern cataract and other, other kinds of modern eye surgery. So I had a definite date appointment there that I had to be there. From, from Beijing, we were going to fly to Singapore. From Singapore to Indonesia, where I was going to preach in some places in Indonesia. From, from Indonesia, we were going back to Tokyo, and from Tokyo back to Dallas-Fort Worth. Now, the reason I'm telling you is this. Jerry, the other lady, drops me off at the airport. She's going to park the car, and I go in with the luggage, and I go up to the counter and I, to check the luggage, and the lady sits at, at the she sits at her computer and she starts work and work and work and work and work. Well, I've traveled a lot. I know how long they take to do something. And she was just taking a long, 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 long time. And I, so I finally said, you know, what, what's going on? She said, well, the travel agent didn't confirm your tickets, so all of your tickets have been canceled. Well, so I start praying. I, I'm praying two things. I'm praying, Lord, please reschedule all of these tickets because I have timed things. I'm supposed to be in certain places at certain times. Please reschedule these for us. And secondly, please do it before Jerry gets back because she'll go through the ceiling <laughs> if she finds out about this. So I was praying those two things. So about the time, <laughs> about the time Jerry walks into the airport door, the lady says, well, I've gotten you rescheduled on all the flights. Well, that's a miracle. All those flights, and she got rescheduled on all those flights. She said the only problem with it, with it is that you don't have the, the seat assignments that you had before. We had to put you wherever there was a seat. I said, well, thank God we're on the flights. But the seat assignment we got on that long first leg from DFW to Tokyo was about 13 and a half hours, I think. And, and the only seats that they had were in the middle of the middle section of a great big airplane. And, you know, I was planning on spending that 13 hours with all of my materials that I was going through to create lectures for the surgeons in Beijing. And I had a lot of work I needed to do. And here I was going to be crunched up like a munchkin in the middle of other people. And, and it, it was going to be more difficult, but I was grateful to be on the airplane. So the minute I sit down in the seat, I open my stuff and I start going over my material. The plane is not off the air, it's still on the ground. It's not off the ground, it's still on the ground, that's what I mean to say. Anyway, the, there's a man that's a steward, and he had seen me standing at the gate, because they told me, you stand at the gate, and you see if everybody arrives for the flight, and if there's somebody that doesn't arrive for the flight, you can have their seats. So while I was standing at the gate, I got this bright idea. I thought, well, maybe they have business class seats available. So I went to the agent, and I, I asked her, I said, do you have any business class seats available? She said, no. We don't have any business class, and furthermore, it would cost you, I forgot, $6,000 or some ridiculous amount. So I said, oh, okay. So I continued to stand, and nobody, nobody, uh, everybody showed up for the flight. So we ended up where I told you, in the middle of the middle section. So anyway, we're still on the ground. The steward comes up. He leans over, he, and he says to me, aren't you Dr. Vaughn? I said, yes. 
He said, you operated on my eyes a few years ago, and I've been able to see perfect ever since then. And I saw you asking the, the agent if there were any business class seats, and there weren't any. But he said, would you like to come up to first class? I said, oh, I sure would. Well, Jerry wanted to come, too. This lady wants to come, too. Come on, you just come with me. We're still on the ground. He takes me to the first row of the first class seats and puts me by the window on the right side with nobody next to me. He takes Jerry to the first row of the first class, puts her by the window on the other side. I had this nice big chair, kind of like the one I'm sitting in now, the big table to do all of my all of my work, all of my study and my notes and all that preparation. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know. So I wanted to share that story with you because Jesus did that for us. I don't know if you think that's a miracle or not, but I do. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful miracle God did. Uh, I share another time. We were flying from Dallas to Vancouver, British Columbia. British Columbia flying actually over Alaska. It's interesting, the flight pathways, but flying over Alaska. And, and as we were doing that, it was winter time, and I was looking out the window I, I don't think I've ever seen anything more beautiful in my life than looking down on Alaska from the air, and it was a beautiful day, no clouds in the sky, and everything was snow-covered mountains, and, and it was so beautiful. I, it, it's, it's, it's too beautiful to describe for you. And then as we flew out over the Bering Strait, I could see the ice freezing the uh, seawater out into the seawater. And then we flew down, and we flew down the coast of Russia. And as we flew south, we could see little, little tiny fishing villages with little bitty lights that you could see from the air. And then they got bigger and bigger. And of course, we went on into bigger cities. But it, that's the most beautiful flight I think I've ever been on. Uh, I'm going to tell you some things about surgery now. OK, at one time, I was at the American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting. And they t always talk about brand new techniques there. And so they were talking about someone had, had discovered that you could use topical anesthesia, which means just eye drops, with no injection of anesthetic around the eye any, in any way, just eye drops. And they had discovered you could do cataract surgery, the whole cataract surgery, just using topical anesthesia. Well, I thought, that's a way out thought, you know. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Because for decades, we've been using an injection of deadening medicine around the side of the eye to deaden the eye for the surgery. So I wasn't about to, I mean, that sounded too way out for me to want to try. So I continued doing what I was doing. So one morning, I had, I don't know, let's say seven cases that morning. And uh, the head nurse that day had pulled up seven syringes of the anesthetic that would be irrigated around the side of somebody's eye for cataract surgery. That day I had Doreen, who was my Chinese scrub nurse, that I was training to be a scrub nurse. I had a circulating nurse that it was a man I'd never seen him before. He was a temporary person that just came in for that day. I never saw him again afterwards. So I had both people that were pretty new at what they were doing. At least I knew Doreen was new and the man I, I, I never saw before. So I went on and I did all these cases. As I was doing the last case, the head nurse came and whispered in my ear. She said, when you finish, please come and see me. I thought, well, OK. That's unusual, but OK. So when I finished, I went to see her. And she said, I pulled up seven syringes of anesthetic before you started. You did these seven cases. 
And she said, now there's just one of these syringes still left, which means that somebody didn't get any anesthesia except for a topical eye drop. They didn't get any irrigation of anesthesia around their eye because there was still one syringe left. It means that someone out of those seven, I had been given probably some saline solution, which doesn't hurt anything, but it also doesn't deaden the eye. So I thought, if I can't tell the difference, which one has had the topical anesthetic, and the patient's never said anything, so the patient couldn't tell any difference, then why am I using this anesthetic when I don't have to be using this irrigation? Because it caused more swelling sometimes. Um, I won't go into all that, but it, it's, easier, it's easier for the patient and for me to do it under topical, just topical anesthesia eye drops only. So from that day forward, see it was an accident, but I think it was a God accident to show me that this is really a better way. So from that day on, I started doing all my cataract surgery under topical anesthesia. Even when I went to China, I was doing just topical anesthesia. So Doreen's brother, she's, you know, she's Chinese. I went back to Beijing to do more surgery and teach the doctors some more. Doreen asked me if I would do cataract surgery on her brother. So I said, yes, I'll be happy to. So I did the cataract surgery on her brother. Well, I didn't know what the Chinese doctors were going to do. But the minute, and I did it under topical anesthesia. The minute we finished the surgery, they stood him up, they took him straight down to the eye clinic, and they checked his vision within, I'd say within five minutes of the time I finished the surgery. And they checked his vision, and he was seeing 20-20 out of the eye that I'd just finished operating, which I had never done that before. I was always doing more and more, you know, I never did that. But I knew from what they did how effective this was. So that was what I would call a, maybe a surgical accident, but it was, it was a God surgical accident that I really appreciate him helping me. Another time, I had a, uh, an employee whose husband was really nearsighted, really severely nearsighted. And at that time, we weren't doing any laser surgery for nearsightedness at that point in time. It hadn't even been invented. And we were doing a procedure called radial keratotomy, where you make some little microsurgical incisions on the cornea and you can correct nearsightedness that way. And so I had so many people coming in. I literally thousands of people were coming into me to have this surgery done because not many people in the world, much less America, were doing this. So I had lots and lots of patients. Well, John, my employee's husband, never seemed to be interested in it, which was puzzling because my employee would talk to him about it. John, why don't you why don't you come have radio care? No, 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 no. Well, she, he didn't say why. He just said he didn't want to have it. So one night, he had a dream. And in his dream, I was doing surgery on his eye. And he saw Jesus standing in the corner of the room. And Jesus came over while I was doing surgery on John's eye. And Jesus put his hands over my hands and did this, you know, did the surgery. Well, when he had that dream, he wanted to have the surgery immediately. But what had hindered him before is when he was a child, he had a recurrent nightmare that he was having eye surgery and his eye was blinded and he dreamed that over and over as a child. That's why he didn't want to have any part of the eye surgery. But when Jesus showed him that dream and how he was going to put his hands on mine and he was going to do the surgery, John was very happy to have the surgery. He wanted it as done as quickly as possible. So we did it and he could see great and he was very delighted. Another time, 
a few years later when we were doing surgery with LASIK surgery, uh, a lady from uh, Louisiana, she was a pastor's wife, and she had come in and asked me if I would do surgery on her, and I said I'd be glad to. And so they went back to Louisiana, and when the surgery day came, they came back to Dallas again, and they rented a, a hotel for the night. And that night before surgery, she got real nervous and real, ooh, she just got to thinking about it and thought, oh, I really don't think I'm going to want to have this eye surgery. She was saying, well, tomorrow morning I'm, I'm just going to call and cancel the surgery because she was so frightened by it. And then the Lord reminded her. Now, this is amazing. The Lord reminded her, remember, she's an adult woman, that when she was a child, she used to pray to God all the time to get rid of her big, thick glasses. She didn't want to wear those anymore. She wanted to be able to see without glasses. She would pray and pray and pray, but it, it never happened. And then later she got contacts, and she, for, she had forgotten all about her prayer. Do you know God never forgets our prayers? We forget them, but God never forgives them, forgets them. So all these years later, here she's an adult, and the Lord speaks to her and says, you prayed, for, you prayed when you were a child for me to get rid of your need for, near, for, eye, for eyeglasses, to get rid of your nearsightedness. He says, I'm going to answer your prayer tomorrow morning when Dr. Vaughn does LASIK surgery on you. So her fear went away. She knew that that was the hand of God. So she came on down and she shared that with me. And we did the LASIK surgery on her and she saw great. So I've, I have a lot of these little stories to tell you over the years. I'll tell you about some dreams. One night I had a dream. And in this dream, I was standing on an embankment above a river. And there was a man there with his wife and his daughter. And the, and the man was pacing like a lion in a cage. He was so agitated, so, so irritated, so anxious, so upset about, I don't know, the things in his life. I have no idea what, what it was. I just know that he was just beside himself. So I said to him in my dream, I said, well, come jump in the, come jump in the river. Oh, no, no, he was too, he was too nervous, too, too fidgety. He, no, no, he didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't want to have any part of that. So I said to him, come jump in the river. Well, he, and then the third time I got real emphatic with him, I said, come jump in the river. So he, he said, okay. So he and his wife and his daughter and I, the four of us, jumped off this embankment into the river. And when we hit the river, in my dream, I felt what the river was like. And I looked at him. It was complete peace. It was complete calmness and joy. I looked at the man. He was at ease. He was relaxed. All the anxiety he had on the bank was now gone, and, and, and I, I know how I felt in that dream. And I thought, I never want to get out of this river. Well, the next morning when I woke up, I remembered the dream. It was a dream from God. And I knew right away what it was when I woke up. It was that, that river that comes out from the throne of God in Ezekiel 47th chapter, and everything that touches that re river has life. And so I felt in my dream, I felt that life of God. I felt that complete peace that passes understanding, that joy that you can only get from the presence of God, that calmness, that relaxation, that light, light-hearted feeling. There's not anything in the world that's bothering you when you're in that river of God. And I determined at that point, I said, 
I'm going to live my life in this river. That's what I wanted to do. I can't say that I always did, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm a lot better at it now than I was back then when I had that dream. Lots of other dreams. Other people had dreams, too, that impacted my life. I remember Jerry had, that's that lady that traveled with me a lot. She had a dream one night, and she was petrified of snakes. I mean, I know a lot of you are, but you couldn't be any more petrified than Jerry was. She was petrified of snakes, but in this dream, there was this snake, and he was, he was going to strike at her face, at her head, and she threw her hands up to protect herself, and when she did, the snake bit her on the right hand, a little bit on the left, but mainly on the right hand, and she, she shook her hand like that, and, and he fell to the ground and turned into, like, ashes on the ground. And so the next morning when she woke up, she told the people that were with her about her dream, and we thought, oh, that's, that's a horrible dream. But we were baby Christians then, and, and frankly, very stupid about some of these things of God. And so we really didn't do anything about it. But it wasn't long after that when she started having severe attack of arthritis, especially in her right hand, in her left a little bit, but mainly in her right hand. And she's a professional musician that plays the piano and the organ. And here this was attacking her hand. We learned from that dream that when you get a horrible dream like that of something catastrophic happening to you, that you better take authority over that and bind it away from you right then and there. Because Jesus said, what things serve you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So you have the authority and the power through the name of Jesus Christ to bind those things away from you. Binding means you refuse them. You lock them away from you. He said in one scripture, he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what he's talking about. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And what things soever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So if he's given you keys, it means when you, when you bind it, you can lock them away from you. You can forbid them. You will not allow them to come to you. But if you lose things, you know, you can, anyway, you, that's your power and your authority through Christ Jesus. Another time there was a dream and Jerry came down in a thing, thing like a helicopter type thing. And she looked down and there were scorpions. All, every single millimeter of the ground was covered with scorpions. And when she got out of this helicopter-like vehicle, when she put her foot on the ground, the scorpions ran quickly away from her foot. She'd put another foot on the ground, they'd run immediately away from her foot. So she never did step on one because they were afraid of her feet and they would run away. And the Word of God says, I give you power over scorpions, you know, and, and snakes and scorpions and all those other, it's, it's a, a, ty a type of demonic things. I give you power over all of those powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So that dream was a physical uh, evidence that, that we have power and authority over all of those things, Ser serpents and scorpions and all the demonic, and actually they flee from you when they know that you know who Jesus is and he is in you and you know that you have authority over them, they are scared to death of you. They will flee away from you. And if you bind them away from you, they have to be bound immediately. They have to leave. So I want you to remember. I want you to remember that. Don't take anything from the devil. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. May is a permissive sense. So if you don't allow him, he cannot do it. So 
exert your authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Be well, be safe in Jesus' name. We hope that you enjoyed these stories of the glory of God. We believe that each story we tell will help build your faith and help to bring a miracle into your life. For more information about this program and Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn, visit her website at godsinstrument.com, her YouTube channel at Glory Stories Now, or write her at Elizabeth Vaughn Ministries Incorporated, P.O. Box 454, Argyle, Texas, 76226, USA.